Hey there. Welcome to the show. Oh, wow. You know what? I keep looking at the, the calendar and it's amazing how fast this year is going by and so much going on in the world of real estate. And that's what we've got this show for. Uh, Simply Real Estate is definitely based on trying to keep you up to date. And I'm going to tell you the headlines, uh, I try to unwrap them every single week because some of them are just so misleading. And then, of course, we've got to take a look at the future and what is going to happen in the world of real estate. But joining me uh, this hour, I've got two great guests joining me. I've got Phil Soper. He's the CEO of Royal LePage. And then a little bit later on in the hour, I've got Richard Lyle. And he's the president of ResCon. The funny thing about this is both these gentlemen were actually on the list of the top 22 most influential people in real estate here in Ontario. And so it's going to be great to have them join me in a little while. But um, I do want to remind you, if you haven't signed up for our seminar slash webinar, uh, coming up this Thursday, 7 p.m., we've got our uh, first in-person seminar. We haven't done it in probably two and a half years. It's been at least that long. And so I'm looking forward to being able to see everybody. Uh, we got some fun giveaways, actually, that are going to happen during the seminar. And uh, so that's 7 p.m. this Thursday. Go to thesimpleinvestor.com to register and be great to uh, see a bunch of you out um, and have just a great chat. So here's the thing, though. Um, you know, when I talk about the headlines, the headlines start becoming a little dire. And, and when, I, when I look at them, you know, I, I keep analyzing the numbers. And, you know, even for somebody like myself, I do this every single day. I, you know, I'm I'm, I'm analyzing numbers, taking a look at markets, trying to figure out what the world economy is going to do to the world of real estate. And when I see some of these headlines, I'm absolutely baffled. You know, I take a look at some of this stuff and somebody, somebody actually threw out something that said, you know, there's going to be a 72% adjustment. It's like, on what planet is that going to ever happen? You know, it just, uh, the, the assumption that is being made uh, is that, you know, everybody right now has a variable rate mortgage just just for clarity not even close i mean majority of people took a fixed rate mortgage and when we take a look at the big numbers not very many people are coming due in the next year so a lot of people are locked in for those low interest rates for a very long time and so when we talk about analyzing real estate and as most of you know i am the simple investor and we do talk about investment real estate and i will be bringing this up during my seminar but um, you know, chatting with my producer, Ian, you know, we were just, you know, saying, you know, how, how do people kind of deal with some of the stuff that's going on right now? Let's say you were floating around. Let's say you used a HELOC for your home instead of, let's say, a standard mortgage. Let's say you didn't fix the rate. Let's say you went to the variable and, you know, so you're either using a HELOC or you got a variable rate mortgage, you know, and you're starting to feel that pinch because we're watching these interest rates go up and just just so you're aware, end of October, Bank of Canada is going to take a crack at us one more time, probably another half point. So we got to take a look at these numbers and say, okay, where where do we where do we come up with the money? And you know, one of the things that I think people need to do, and and you have to be, by the way, you have to be very very strict when doing this. But I call it leverage to last. And really, the concept of it is being able to utilize a little bit of your equity in your actual home. And you take some of it out, you chop it up into little increments, one to be able to carry the amount that you just took out of your, let's say, home line of credit. And then you can turn around and use the rest of it to offset your current monthly payments. So let me break it down. Let me make it as simple for you as I possibly can. So let's say we have a property 
and it's uh, $100,000, okay? We'll just use the $100,000 increment because it's a lot easier for us to work with the numbers. Now, from there, a lot of people right now are probably sitting on about 60% equity in most of their properties. You know, we've seen a lot of increases in value, and we know that a lot of people have not got it right up, leveraged up to the top, because you wouldn't be the people that would be looking at this in a, in a you know, a timely um, fashion that you've got to be able to do something with your interest rate. So let's just go back to the, the debt of 60%. So typically right now, if you've established either a home line of credit or some kind of overdraft, you have a little bit of this window that you can play with. And if your payment goes up, let's say about $1,000 more than you had anticipated or your comfort level, you can actually turn around, use your HELOC, take some of the equity out. And then what you can do is utilize it as a payment to offset your actual payment. So let's say you take out $12,000. You can utilize that for 12 months. And so what you do is you take the $1,000 and now you're offsetting what your increase was. So the reason why I call it leverage to last is there are some people that have got themselves in a position where it's the month to month payment that's making them suffer, but they're still sitting on equity. And you know, is it a smart time to sell? Probably not. Depending on your mortgage, you could have a major penalty to break it. So how do we make it last? And you know, one of the things when we talk about investment real estate, you know, we do know that your rent has the ability of offsetting all mortgage payments, um, which you know reduces any kind of taxation. So, you know, I always say that technically your tenant is paying off your mortgage. So when we take a look at this entire equation, the best way I can say it is this utilize a little bit of your equity to offset your current situation if you are finding it uncomfortable. Now, why would we do this? Well, a lot of people would sit there and say, well, maybe I should sell and downsize. Well, chances are you're gonna you're not gonna do as well as you think you will. But more importantly, you know, if we take a look at the window of what the Bank of Canada is thinking they're not going to be able to keep increasing the interest rates forever. One of the reasons why is that the interest rates normally will only deal with the variable, but then we have the bond market and the bond market is what deals with those fixed rate mortgages. Now, this is the magic that I normally talk to Dave Butler uh, from BM Select about. And one of the reasons why we talk about it is the fact that we believe that there's that kind of inverted curve that's going to happen where your fixed rate mortgages are actually going to be lower than your bank rate mortgages for a little while. And the reason why is that as the bond market drops the way it does, you're going to find that the banks themselves are going to start discounting mortgages. So I'll give you an example of what happened. Back in 2008, we watched um, Jim Flaherty put a, the halt onto the Bank of Montreal when they went below 3%. They said, no, 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 you, you can't do that. Well, everybody was getting tired of the of the interest rates, and so the market wasn't moving enough. So by doing this, BMO turned around and was the first person to jump down below 3% at the time, and all of a sudden their market share went through the roof. Now, of course, Mr. Flaherty didn't agree with this and you know threatened them, and so they pumped it back up, and then, of course, another lender turned around and brought it down, and then everybody decided to pile on and go below 3%. The reason why I think this is going to happen is because right now, when we finish off the year of 2022 in real estate, we are going to be drastically down in the number of sales that we're used to. Now, I'm not going to say that last year, 2021, is something we should get used to. 126,000 sales in the GTA, that's massive. 
but truth be told, we're probably going to be off 15 to 20% on our average. You know, we've had lots of years in around 100, 110, 90, you know, those kind of things. Now, this year is probably going to finish up between 75 and 77,000. Now, the reason why this is an important number is that the banks are always looking for new mortgage money. This is where they get, you know, rich on their fees. This is where they're going to try to convert somebody over to a credit line or perhaps a new credit card or some other form of debt that they can make money from you. So again, I'm not going to paint all the banks with the same brush, but you get it. You know, this is how they make money. And whenever we see these quarterly returns and you hear the banks making billions of dollars, it's got to come from somewhere. And normally it comes from you. When you start trading loans and start moving stuff around, this is where it's going to happen. So this is why I believe that we're going to see some discounts happening in the spring. Now, if you take a look at your current rate, and let's say you can get something around 5.5, 5.1 in that range. I'm not going to be surprised if we start seeing something in the low fours or even the high threes when we spin into the spring market. And this is where that leverage to last gets you to that market. And then you can turn around and do your refinance. Now, the other thing is, is when we talk about refinance, not renewal. So the difference is, is that you now start the amortization clock over. One of the things I'm going to encourage people is that when you do a refinance right now, you have the option in a lot of cases to go to a 30 year amortization. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to be paying off the house as fast as you would like, but what it's doing is giving you a manageable payment. And these are the kind of things that we need to look at. So if you do have excess cash or you feel that you're in a much better position financially, you know, you can always pay down your mortgage on your own accord. But what it's doing is it's lowering the payment because we're ex extending it. So a lot of people will sit there and say, okay, so if we change amortization, now this was a tool that was actually used by the federal government, by, by the way, in the early 2000s. I don't know if everybody remembers, but they actually were allowing 40 year amortizations. And this made it really affordable for people to get into their first home. So you had CMHCs jumping on the five to 10% down. You had 40 year amortization. So the payment was, well, you weren't taking a lot off the principal, but it did make it affordable. So these are the kind of things that, you know what, if we're using our heads, we can get through anything when it comes down to making adjustments. So again, a couple of the options, this is what I call leverage to last. So being smart about it, utilizing a little bit of equity, and then the rest is numbers. Working with the amortization, you can get through this. So I don't want that panic stricken feel that a lot of people are having. Um, you know what? It's definitely manageable. It's something that you can get ahead of. And I mentioned that I will be doing and having a conversation about this during my seminar uh, coming this Thursday, the simple seminar right here at the head office of the simple investor. So if you'd like to register, go to the simple And you know, I look forward to meeting with a lot of people and trying to give you some information that's going to be helpful at a time like this. As I mentioned earlier, of course, my guests uh, coming up, I've got Phil Soper. He is the CEO of Royal Page. He'll be joining me in a minute. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. As I mentioned just before the break, my next guest, no stranger to the show and definitely no stranger to the world of real estate. He's known as the top dog on the top 22 list of most influential people in real estate, Phil Soper. He is the CEO of Royal Page and Bridgemark Real Estate Services. And Phil, welcome back to the show. Oh, thanks for having me on. Great to hear your voice. So, Phil, I got to tell you, I had to, I had to throw in the top dog. That was the title they gave you. Uh, congratulations, you know, being on the list. 
obviously I've always thought of you as being very influential in, in not just Ontario, but I, I, I'm going to say North America for sure. So maybe you can, uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what's happening in the market and uh, where you see it right now. Yeah. So uh, we just released our quarterly uh, house price survey. So we've been doing this for, well, decades and decades uh, where we track home prices right across uh, uh, Canada um, and produce uh, analysis that is used for by lots of people. For example, the Bank of Canada uses our data because it stretches back so far and it's uh, so all-encompassing. So what it showed, for example, in the uh, greater Toronto area was that uh, home prices in the third quarter, so this is uh, to September 30th, were up 2% year over year in the GTA. So some people may find that surprising because there's been a lot of chatter about uh, the, the reset in home prices across the country. But uh, over the, the last um, 12 months, you know, we had a big reset in the second quarter, but overall, home prices are still up. Now, our forecast points to uh, a decline by the end of the year. So 2022 over 2021, um, we, we are predicting that home prices will be down 3.5%, which is a lot different than some of the numbers you might be hearing uh particularly those are outside of the industry. I heard one from an investment analysis this morning and said, you know, peak to trough, it's, they're going to be down 30%. Well, first of all, no one defines what peak is. And, and, uh, and that kind of, that kind of a, an outlook is just unsupported by the data. So what we're, what we're sort of to sum it up is we saw, saw home prices soften in the third quarter, but at a rate much less than in the second quarter. So home prices gave back some of their pandemic gains in the second quarter, gave back less in the third quarter, and we're, we're predicting that in the fourth quarter, they'll give back a little bit more, but, the, but the, the curve is flattening. So home prices for all effective pur purposes are about flat year over year at this stage. So, Phil, I do want to talk about what you had mentioned, you know, when we talk about peaks and, you know, you and I had talked earlier in the spring and we watched the market go crazy in February. And it was one of those, I call it kind of a pin market, like it's basically went straight up in that one month. And it was, you know, that last ditch effort for a lot of people, low interest rates. And but I, I, I never measure it, you know, by a week or a month when we take a look at the, uh, the overall value of real estate. And, you know, January, we did see the upswing in December of last year, we did. But ultimately, it's kind of that measuring tape. And this is this is why I want to talk to you about the narrative that's floating out there, because when people start talking about this, you know, 30 percent price drop and, and, and it's kind of a doomsayer effect because, you know, you'll hear the media, they'll say, you know, the, the market's off by 42%. Well, they're talking volume, not price. And then when we start taking a look at the overall numbers, you know, just as you said, you know, year over year, we're still up September to September. And so can you give us a little bit more clarity in why the media is doing this? Well, it's sensational. Uh, it, it captures eyes 
real estate is the largest industry in Canada. It's, um, you know, it sort of trades places with the um, energy industry, oil and gas industry as the largest industry. But over the last decade, it's been the biggest industry. So it's important in many boardrooms across the country. And of course, nearly 70% of Canadian families own their home. So it's critically important to people. So when you have a headline related to housing, especially a sensational one, uh, it gets a lot of readership. And, and so editors like sensational headlines. That's, there really is no other, other answer because that if you look at the actual data from you know, Rolla Page, the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, it's consistent. We look at it in different ways, but when you come, when you sort it all out and you look at the, 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 the data we're reporting on, it's painting the same picture a market that was excessive during the pandemic. We all know that there was many, many more people uh, looking for homes than we had homes for sale. The cost of money had dropped to basically zero and people weren't spending money anywhere else. Their savings had grown. So there was this huge surge in buying and the market overshot. We knew it had to correct and uh, it is, but it's correcting at a much more moderate pace than than you believe with some of the, the the media and and just to put it in perspective you look at the national aggregate home price we're up 25 percent over uh, 2020 so going back two years we're still up 25 percent so there are very few people who bought a home in february of uh 2022 that are looking to sell a home in October of 2022. I'd venture that of your listeners, probably next to zero. So, so it's a meaningless, this peak number that, you know, it's ill-defined and it's not very helpful for most Canadians. Now, you did mention about home ownership, and then of course, we've got to go to the other side of the coin. And this has been a, you know, a, a big thing is the fact that the rental market so a lot of people are looking at the rental market. You and I have talked over the over the years that we you know we have a shortage of rental properties, and now we're starting to see the rents go up significantly. And you know it's it's really the tale of two two stories here where where we're taking a look at it, and it's like you know if you if you own a rental property, you're going to watch your rents go up. Yeah, absolutely. If you um, dive into the the report, one of the things that stands out is that uh, condominiums did considerably better than detached homes. Why? Well, they're more affordable. And during the pandemic, there was this, uh, it's hard, you know, it seems like such a long time ago. It was only a couple of years ago, but there was this desperate need for space. Everybody had to work from home. We had to eat at home. Our homes became the only place we could be. So everybody wanted more space. And so they bid up the value of detached homes, standalone detached homes. Well, that has disappeared and we're back to normal. We're seeing people back at universities, back in, um, back in our city centers right across the country. And that means condominium living for a lot of people, particularly young families, young people. And uh, so they're, and they're a relative bargain. And the investor segment is purchasing properties to uh, to satisfy the incredible demand for people to move back downtown for those who 
don't have the means to buy their own home that are looking to rent. And uh, so rent rents are getting bid up um, and condominiums are are actually doing considerably better than uh, detached homes uh, right across the country. Yeah. You know, Phil, it's always great to have your take on what's happening in the market. And uh, I do look forward to, you know, getting you back on the show probably near the end of the year so we can kind of do a recap. It'll be interesting to see where the numbers come in. Obviously, the number of transactions are going to be down significantly from 2021. But, uh, you know, the most important thing I think that we should be looking at is price. Yes, absolutely. And, and you know, if we compare transactional count to the, uh, say, the five-year average, um, it, it's more helpful. You could also look at 2019, but it's not helpful to look at 2020 because if you recall, we you know shut down the economy artificially in 2020 in the spring market. Uh, and so that's not a normal year. And 2021 is not normal for exactly the opposite reason. So we really need to be careful of what what benchmark we're comparing even volume to. Phil, thank you so much for joining me today. Great having you on the show. And uh, we'll definitely be chatting with you soon. Okay. Take care. Great chatting with you too. Folks, that was Phil Soper. He is the CEO of Royal LePage. When we come back, I've got Richard Lyle joining me. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. Um, You know, as I mentioned just before the break, my next guest joining me, Richard Lyle. And uh, he's actually part of the the, the second guest that I've got on the 22 most influential people on the list in real estate this year, which is pretty cool. Um, Richard's the president of ResCon. And if you don't know what ResCon is, Residential Construction Council of Ontario. And uh, they nicknamed him the boss. So, Richard, welcome back to the show. (laughs) It's good to be back. Thank you for that. It's a little uh, kind of embarrassing. I'm not sure what they meant by that. But anyways. You know, it's got it's got to be true, though, Richard, because you know what, if it's in if it's in print, it's got to be true. <laughs> so, uh, listen, thanks for joining me today. I, I, I greatly appreciate it. And of course, um, you know, one of the things I do want to chat with you about is what is happening in the world of residential construction, because it is, you know, all sorts of things going on lots of reports. Like I said, the headlines, you know, I, trust me, I don't believe everything I read, but uh, maybe you can give us kind of a breakdown. What is happening in the marketplace? Well, we're kind of going uh, from the frying pan into the fire, and and immediately right now we're sort of in that period of chaos where you know inflation is still not un- under control and rates are still rising. So uh, that has had a chain reaction of uh, effects uh, that uh, uh, until they that stabilizes, uh, it's kind of hard to see where the daylight is right now. Uh, but we do know that, you know, for example, the central banks are absolutely committed now to getting inflation under control, and and they're going to do that. It does create a number of challenges. For example, you know, quite a few projects are being put on hold right now because it's it's hard to sort of make the pro formas work if you don't know where your costs are going to be or what the supply chains are going to look like you know, a year or two years down the road, because of course in our system, you know, we sell first and build later. Uh, and then we've got a massive demographic challenge uh, facing us, uh, which is real. 
Uh, and there have been some uh, analysis of that that has been peer reviewed and it's been accepted by all the political parties and uh, most levels of government. I don't want to say every municipality is necessarily buying into it. There's still some uh, people out there that are bizarrely saying, well, we don't have a supply problem. And I just it's completely mystifying how they get there. But, um, you know, demographics don't lie. And so right now. If you were to average out what we're producing in Ontario over the last 10 years, you'd probably be in the range of, you know, 70, 75,000 units a year. Uh, we need to double that in, in, in order to meet our demographic uh, 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 requirements. And, uh, you know, and some people have said, well, that's driven by immigration, maybe uh, cut the immigration. Well, you know, uh, nice thought, but the fact is we've got an aging population and uh, we've got, uh, you know, a declining uh, birth rate. So in order to deal with the uh, baby boomer cohort and bring in the people that we need to, you know, do certain work, one of the one of those areas, of course, is is right in construction itself. Uh, we have to, we, we've got to stick with the immigration. So it's a, it, and, and it's a good thing because of course, you know, I like to say that immigrants have, have built uh, the, the Canada that we know and the GTA that we know, and, uh, um, and they uh, contribute uh, massively to our prosperity and, and, and growth and uh, quality of life and so on and so forth. Uh, but the problem is, uh, you know, we need to house people too. So how are we going to do that? So uh, when you throw, uh, um, you know, a minor detail like COVID into the equation that we worked our way through and now we're uh, working, we're going to work our way through this uh, correction. Uh, but coming out on the other side, we've got, uh, we've got a huge challenge. So there are answers to those questions. Uh, this is really going to test our ability to finally kind of uh, get it right. Let me put it to you that way. Uh, we had the luxury for years, I think, and 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 uh, of ignoring some of the uh, critical issues. We saw many of these things coming for a long time, but it was hard to get the forces aligned. I think we're there now, but of course. As you know, uh, there is more work to be done in the planning. Of course, the key to solving any problem is act actually in the implementation. So it's a complex environment, and uh, we're in uh, uh, difficult circumstances right now. You broke out a lot there, and so I sorry. I'm going to have to. I got to. I got to cut some of it down for you because. You know, one of the one of the biggest things that we need to talk about, obviously, is the construction trade. And, you know, over the next 10 years, you're going to see the highest number of people retiring or getting out of the business just due to aging population, as you mentioned earlier. Um, and, and when we do talk about uh, the new immigrants coming in, you know, one of the things that has been suggested, of course, would be to, you know, mandate that we bring in some of the trades. You know, a lot of people are coming in with different degrees, but not so much you know, with trade papers such as, you know, licensed plumbers, electricians, you know, there's got to be an equivalency uh, ability here in Ontario, in Canada for for us to, you know, bring the trades in, get them, you know, certified so that they can actually work in our building industry. Because again, the shortage is only going to, you know, 
be extrapolated over the next few years. That's right. And, you know, uh, it's it's interesting. I mean, there was a time, for example, when they had the rental housing boom, a massive boom in rental housing production in the 60s and 70s. Uh, you know, uh, the builders were actually sort of down at the docks and the train stations picking people up as they came in. Uh, because we, uh, and, that, and that actually extended back into the 50s, uh, somehow we lost our way from an immigration point of view uh, and neglected this. And so, for example, Royal Bank did a study which showed that there was a, a, a very large deficiency in skilled trades immigration. And part of that has to do with what they did with the scoring systems and so on. And uh, there are changes that are required there. There are per people working on that. Uh, we have a coalition working on this. Uh, the federal government has acknowledged it. Uh, but again, it's actually making those changes to allow for um, skilled trades to come in. And it's not just what we call the jewel trades, like plumbers and electricians. A big area for us is in the mud trades. Anybody working with mortar or concrete or uh, that kind of thing where their certification of their skills isn't necessarily readily, um, uh, you know, they can't sort of show up with a certificate and say, okay, I am this person and I can do these things. But there are ways of dealing with that. And so, you know, but we do have to move on it because the kind of insidious demographic challenge that's facing us is that we're right at that point where the baby boomer a cohort, which is almost about a quarter of our workforce, is really retiring in big numbers. And then at the same time, um, we might have a dip in construction activity. But when we come out of the other side of this thing, uh, there's no question we're going to need to produce a huge amount of housing and we're going to need those people. So we need to plan and get this right now in preparation for, you know, a year or two years down the road. Yeah, I think that that's a good point because for right now, as we take a look at the marketplace, you know, we can, we're coming into this being short of inventory. You know, definitely, I think, as you said, when we come out of this and when, you know, people start looking at, you know, home ownership again and even even the rental market. I mean, these are these are one of the things that, you know, we've got a, a, an election coming up that um, I'm going to uh, I'm going to ask you after the break because I want to take get your take on on what you know can be done and mandated. So, folks, if you're just tuning in right now, my guest is Richard Lyle, and he is the president of Rescon, the Residential Construction Council of Ontario. And um, you know, one of the things that we'll continue to discuss is you know what are some of the things that can be done to solve some of the uh, housing issues. But when we come back from the break, we'll do that. And don't forget, you uh, you can sign up for the uh, our seminar coming up this Thursday at 7 p.m. Go to thesimpleinvestor.com and we'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in right now, my guest is Richard Lyle and he is the president of ResCon, the Residential Construction Council of Ontario. And uh, just before the break, we were, uh, Richard, you and I were discussing, you know, the idea of the trades and how we had a lack of them and and you know it was very very apparent uh over the last couple of years that inventory is getting tighter and tighter um you know we're coming into an election time you know october is a big thing we've got the you know mayor's race all over the municip different municipalities including toronto it's interesting though one of the biggest things you know we saw this with the federal election provincial election now of course when the mayors are you know trying to get some votes 
what they have planned for housing. And I just, I just want to know your take on what some of the politicians are saying and, you know, what are actually some of the solutions for some of the housing issues we have. Well, you know, as I mentioned before, we've seen this coming for a while and um, we're, we're, what we're seeing looks actually quite good. Certainly at the provincial level, the uh, Ford government has now, you know, they've got three pieces of legislation that they've passed on related to housing. I, I think the COVID effect uh, really accelerated, though, the, the impact of the housing supply situation or shortage. Um, so they, there is more to be done there. The last uh, piece was the strong mayor legislation for the city of Toronto. And I think um, that was, uh, in my view, uh, needed. And, uh, and I think it will have a beneficial effect. And then the feds have some things to do yet too, which I can talk about if you like. Uh, you know, so at the federal level, for example, one of the big things is uh, looking back when we had, and we really do need a lot of purpose-built rental housing built. It's very important because especially in a gig tech-based economy, you have much more mo labor mobility. Uh, and uh, that means you need to kind of uh, sort of more readily available housing for people as they move. And, um, you know, back in the, it started actually in the very late 50s and then 60s and 70s, we had a purpose-built rental housing boom in the city and the feds uh, through various programs really drove the industry and encouraged the industry to build that housing. We need to, the feds need to revisit things like that because, you know, the federal government uh, uh, taxes has, you know, billions have come out of the industry into federal coffers from uh, the production of new housing and uh, we're we need to see more of that coming back and it can come back in programs like that. You know, at the municipal level, uh, the Strong Mayors Act, uh, I think, has uh, enabled, uh, for example, the uh, current uh, mayor to announce his five point plan for housing, which sounds very good. Um, you know, principally the new the creation of a new development and growth committee, which uh, will hopefully bring together and break down some of those silos between departments in the city and what the mayor called the spin cycle of uh, uh, within the approvals process. And we think that's that's quite beneficial. Uh, also dealing with things like exclusionary zoning and finally uh, dealing with, uh, you know, mid-rise uh, apartment uh, and condo buildings along uh, avenues and corridors long overdue. In fact, I remember I was on a panel with Paul Bedford uh, almost 20 years ago when we were talking about this and what the benefits might be, but we've just been slow to adjust. Yeah. You know, one, one of the things, and I don't know if everybody does remember, though, back in the late 80s when rent control went into place, basically we saw all the apartment built, you know, designated uh, uh, buildings basically halted right there on the spot. And then moving forward, all the high rises were being built as condos. And, you know, coming into the 90s, that was really the dawn of condominiums when we talk about the high rise. And, you know, we've, we've almost have to revert backwards now. I mean, you know, I know the federal government's been trying to give some incentives, you know, same with the provincial governments. But it's 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 tough because of the actual time to build. And, you know, you'd mentioned earlier in the show that we've got some people that are looking at the the dollars and cents of things pulling back 
saying, you know, it's, it's not affordable for us to build right now. And, you know, I, I, I've seen, you know, a few numbers kicking around. It seems like there's going to be quite a few, you know, developments that are going to be shelved, which is going to be very concerning because again, the, the necessity to keep building again, purpose-built rentals, as well as condominiums, I think is going to keep going. Exactly. And, and to sustain our workforce too, uh, you know, um, back in the early nineties, when we had the last big correction, you might recall there was also a bit of a nonprofit housing boom then and uh, which was uh, you know it was what it was but one one thing it did enable us to do is keep uh, our crews and 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 contractors working to a large extent otherwise we would have lost a lot of people and we don't we can't afford to lose people right now because you know I you know I think Todd, the good news in all this is that when we come out of this we're going to be on fire. Uh, and the demand for for housing is going to be uh, possibly even greater than it is now. So we need to pivot and uh, create those opportunities, you know, especially at the federal level, say, for example, on the purpose built rentals, you know, because it's ironic right now in the U.S. There's a, there's a boom on purpose built rental housing uh, uh, underway. Uh, uh, and, um, we, we, we're not experiencing that here. Uh, and they're 96% of their, uh, multifamily, we'll call it, you know, it's condos, apartment buildings, multifamily housing. And the U S is in purpose-built rental, uh, that should be happening here. And it's not, uh, and you can break that down. There's, I think a number of reasons for that, but it's something that, uh, needs to be addressed. Yeah. And I think, and and I'm glad you brought that up because again, you know, this comes back to the federal and provincial level of of throwing in incentives. You mentioned that obviously with interest rates, would it not behoove the government to turn around and say, okay, you know what, why don't we lend money to some of the developers to be able to build this? You know, the problem when they get into lending money and programs like that is, uh, for example, the amount of time it takes, because then you 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 need a bureaucracy that's going to evaluate projects and so on and so forth. And it just takes too long. The better route is through the uh, through the tax system uh, via tax credits. And, uh, you know, there were old programs. Uh, one was called the MERB program. There was a limited dividend program. And so you, you can work those incentives in, if you want to call them incentives, into that uh, process. And, uh, and it, it can trigger a much more a rapid response from the industry. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, everybody likes a tax break. So, um, listen, Richard, I, I do want to thank you for joining me again today. Um, you know, always a pleasure having you on the show. I do look forward to probably having a chat with you, uh, you know, in the new year. And we'll see where we're sitting. So thanks once again for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Folks, that was Richard Lyle, and he is the president of ResCon, the Residential Construction Council of Ontario. Once again, as I say every single week, it's amazing how fast an hour goes by. Um, Just a reminder, coming up this Thursday, 7 p.m., Join me for my simple seminar. It's actually a seminar. You're in person here in our new studio. It's going to be very exciting. I am going to be working with a lot of things like I had mentioned earlier, leverage to last um, and leverage to live and all sorts of wonderful you know, uh, systems that you can actually utilize in your own life right now. So uh, go to thesimpleinvestor.com to register and hopefully I see you this Thursday at 7 p.m. 
And uh, of course, I do want to thank my guests this hour, Phil Soper, CEO of Royal Page, Richard Lyle, president of ResCon. Um, I do want to thank my producers, uh, Omar and Ian, for keeping it simple for me this week as usual. And most importantly, I do want to thank you for tuning in and making us the number one real estate talk show. And of course, I will be back next Sunday as usual. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010 Toronto.